This is Joseph Bowyer, and I'd like to welcome you to another podcast of Hatikva Hamashiach Ministries. I'm going to begin this podcast with a couple of questions. The first one is, what is perfect? The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines perfect as being entirely without fault or defect, to be flawless. The Hebrew word translated as perfect is tamim, and it means to be perfect, requiring nothing more. It means wholeness. And the Greek word translated as perfect in the second writings, teleos, has the same meaning, to be complete, to be perfect. So the second question is, what happens if you change something that is perfect? Well, the answer is obvious. If you change what is perfect, it's no longer perfect. And with that in mind, consider these passages. In Psalms 19, verse 7, the Torah, or the law of Yehovah, is perfect, bringing back the being, the soul. The witness of Yehovah is trustworthy, making wise the simple. And then in Psalms 119.1, we read, Blessed are the perfect in the way who walk in the Torah or the law of Yehovah. And from the second writings in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 25, But he that looked into the perfect law, that of freedom, and continues in it, not becoming a hearer that forgets, but a doer of work, this one shall be blessed in his doing of the Torah, the law. So the Torah, which many times is just translated as law in English. But the Torah of Yehovah Elohim that was given at Mount Sinai was and is perfect. It is entirely without fault or defect, nor does it require anything more. As such, guarding and doing his word and his commandments restores our souls. It allows us to walk perfectly or blamelessly in his way and brings his blessings. And if we allow anyone, rabbi, priest, preacher, teacher, pope, evangelist, it doesn't matter. If we allow anyone to change his word in any way, then the word that they are teaching cannot be perfect, nor can it accomplish what Yudhevavhe's perfect word can do. And this emphasizes the importance of the commandment not to add to or take away from his word. And that's found in Deuteronomy 4.2 and then repeated in Deuteronomy 12.32. It also brings up a point that very few people are willing to consider. As we all know, most people have their favorite translation. Some believe that the King James translation is the only authoritative translation of the Bible, while others prefer a simpler text without all the these and thous, such as the New American Standard, the Oxford Study Bible, or even the Scriptures Bible. The problem is that all of these are translations of the Hebrew text, and all of them contain changes. And what this means is that the English translations are all imperfect translations. Now, changing Yehovah's word is not a new concept by any means. It began centuries ago when the rabbis gave themselves the authority to change God's word and to create their own laws and traditions. And, and even many of their traditions eventually became laws binding upon the Jewish people. Now, the Messiah chastised the Pharisees for their traditions, telling them, Well, do you to set aside the command of Elohim in order to guard your tradition? Have you ever stopped 
and ask yourself if you are following a man-made tradition or a man-made law that breaks even one of Yehovah's commandments. And if you are, what do you think the Messiah would say to you? Now, by the third or fourth century CE, people were losing the ability to read and properly pronounce the Hebrew text. So in response, the Masoretes develop a system of vowel points, spaces, and cantillation marks to assist people so that they could correctly read and pronounce and hopefully understand the original text. Unfortunately, the Masoretes made several intentional changes to the Hebrew text. For instance, in Genesis 18, we find the story of the destruction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim. As the two messengers, or angels if you prefer, departed for Sodom, Moshe wrote, So the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom, but Yudhavave still stood before Abraham. That's verse 22. The Masoretes and the rabbis that developed the Masoretic text believed it was improper to have Yudhavave standing before a mortal man, so they reversed their positions. And as a result, many English translations, including the King James, New American Standard, read, Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom, while Abraham was still standing before Yehovah or the Lord. This may seem like a minor change, but given the fact that Yehovah himself has forbidden anyone to add to or take away from his word, makes this a very serious matter. Then there are errors in the English translations that are not the result of the Masoretes. For example, in most English translations, Genesis 1-1 reads, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is, even though the Masoretic text actually reads, In a beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Not in the beginning, but in a beginning. Add to this the fact that the Hebrew word that's translated as to create something from nothing, or bara, is better translated as creating something that has never existed before. And suddenly, we have a far different understanding of Genesis 1-1. The Masoretic text of this verse actually should read, In a beginning, Elohim created something that had never existed before. Now, before anybody panics, Keep in mind that the original Hebrew text didn't have the vowel pointing, and it could be read either way. It could be in the beginning or in a beginning. It all depends upon the context. And the context of the original Hebrew text, according to the Masoretes, led them to translate it as in a beginning. Now, another problem is that English translations often use one English word to translate two or more different Hebrew words. Let's consider the word stranger for a second. In Exodus 12:49, we read, There is one Torah, or one law, for the native born and for the stranger who sojourns among you. In this verse, and in most places of the Tanakh, stranger is translated from the word ger, and it refers to someone who has grafted into Abraham's seed and became a Hebrew. Ger actually means to cross over. And Abraham was the first Gentile to cross over and become a Hebrew. First one to truly believe in the one true Elohim of creation. And then in Proverbs 6, 1, we find, My son, if you have become a guarantor for your friend, has shaken heads, hands in pledge of a stranger. Now, in this verse, stranger is translated from the word zur, 
which refers to an outsider, someone who has no rights or standing among the Hebrew people. Finally, in Proverbs 27.2, the word stranger is translated from the word nochri, let another man praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. And an okri can refer to a pagan, such as in Exodus 12.43, or someone who is estranged or has misrepresented themselves. Three different Hebrew words, all translated as stranger. Now, in the story of the flood of Noah's day, English translations again use one English word to translate one or more Hebrew words. As Genesis chapter 7 begins, Yehovah called to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all of your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Then in verse 4, we read, For after seven more days I am sending rain on the earth, Forty days and forty nights, and shall wipe from the face of the earth all that stand that I have created. Seven days later, as Noah began to gather his family and the animals into the ark, the rain started. And in verse 4, rain is translated from momtir, from the root word that means to descend from height or to come down. And it suggests a rain that began with what we would call a normal rain shower. Not necessarily a heavily downpour, but a typical rain shower. Then in verse 7 we read, And Noah and his son and his wife and his son's wife went into the ark because of the water of the flood. Now I emphasize the water and the flood because water there is singular, indicating a single body of water. And the word flood is from the word mabu, indicating that that body of water is beginning to rise considerably and the land was beginning to flood. Mabu is an interesting choice of words to describe the flood. It's from a root word, the yod, the vate, and the lamin, that means to bring home or to return something to its proper place. We find that in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 40. It's the same root, however, for the word yovel that is translated as jubilee. That's the year in which all the land that has been sold is returned or restored to its original owner. And we find that the flood destroyed what man's sin had corrupted, which included mankind, animals, and the earth, and the land was returned to its original state. So it finds out that the jubilee and the flood have something in common. Then in verse 12, we read, and the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. But here, rain is translated from the word geshem, which does refer to a deluge or torrential rainfall. If we read the story of the flood with the correct translation and understanding of the Hebrew words for rains and for floodwaters, we come away with a little different picture of the flood. It began with a normal rain shower, although this is the first time in Scripture that we hear of it raining on the earth. But then that normal rain shower increased until the water began to flood the land before finally becoming a torrential downpour. We are not told why Elohim chose to increase the amount of rain slowly. But is it possible that after Noah's witness to the world during the 120 years it took him to complete the ark, that Yedevave began with a somewhat normal rain shower, and gradually increased the intensity became to a torrential downpour in order to give man one last chance to repent. It's an interesting thought, but we understand also that the Hebrew text is very specific, so these words were chosen for a reason. But perhaps the most interesting word in English translations, at least to me, 
is the word forever, which is used to translate at, at least six different Hebrew words. Consider some of these verses. I'm going to begin with Isaiah 57:15. For thus declares the high and exalted one who dwells forever, whose name is set apart. I dwell in the high and set apart place with him who has a bruised and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of bruised ones. Here forever is translated from odd, spelled with an I and a dalit, and the vowel point gives that A sound. Odd is based on the root word that is spelled with the I and dalit, hey, and it carries the idea of someone adorning himself, as in Job 40.10. Deck yourself, please, with the excellency and grandeur, and put on esteem and splendor. This may seem like an unusual understanding of forever to adorn oneself, but remember that we, the children of Israel, are his inheritance, and we will one day adorn the house of Yehovah, our Father. And then in Psalms 19:9, also uses odd, but there's a lamed as a prefix here. And this verse reads, "The fear of Yehovah is clean, standing forever. The right rulings of Yehovah are true; they are righteous altogether." Forever in this verse is from Laad. And when the lamet is used as a prefix, it means to. And the vowel point indicates to a very specific time or item. In this case, Laad should be read as the fear of Yadhevava is cling, standing to thee forever. And another word translated as forever is Olam. And it is found in several passages throughout Scripture, such as in Exodus 2843 and Deuteronomy 3. 1316, although sometimes, as in a case like Isaiah 45:17 or Micah 5:2, it's Olam is translated as eternity. But let's consider Exodus 28:43. And they shall be on Aharon and his sons when they come into the tent of appointment, or when they come near the slaughter place to attend to the set apart place, so that they do not bear their crookedness and die, a law forever, Olam, to him and to his seed after him. The root of Olam is the ayin, lamin, and a final name. The root of a Hebrew word is called a shoresh, which actually means root or beginning. And the shoresh itself isn't actually a word. It's more of a concept or an idea. And the word is built on this concept or idea by adding prefixes, suffixes, and vowels. The Etymological Dictionary of Biblical Hebrew, written by Matthew Clark, is a great resource for understanding the roots of Hebrew words. So the root of olam, the ayin, lamet, and final name, refers to something hidden, as in Leviticus 4.13, or to an unknown future, as in Genesis 13.15. And Genesis 13.15 says, For all the land which you see, I shall give to you and your seed forever. Abraham and his seed would one day inherit the land of Israel, but the timing of this inheritance was hidden from Abraham. Note that this promise was to Abraham and his seed, not just to Abraham or not just to his seed. Now, the Hebrews have occupied the land of Israel two or three times since this promise was made, but the time for Abraham and his righteous seed to inherit and dwell in the land together has not happened yet. It remains hidden in the Olam, or an unknown future, will this be in the millennial reign of Messiah Yeshua, or in the world in which the new Jerusalem descends and Yehovah Elohim once again dwells among his creation? Well, there's different thoughts on that. 
Now, the concept of olam, or forever, is even more interesting when you read Psalm 77, verses 5 through 7, because there King David wrote, I have thought about the days of old, the years long past. I remember my song in the night. I meditate within my heart, and my spirit searches diligently. Would yod heh reject forever and never again be pleased? Then this passage, forever, is translated from olamim, which is the plural form of olam, indicating more than one olam or more than one forever. The Hebrew text of verse 7 should actually be treated with yod heh reject for forevers or for eternities. Olamim is also found in 1 Kings 8.13, as Solomon, or Shlomo, blessed Yehovah, stating, I have indeed built you an exalted house, an established place for you to dwell in forevers, the plural. There's also the phrase Leolam in Scripture. And as I mentioned earlier, when the Lamed is attached to the beginning of a word, it means to something. So Leolam should be translated as to forever. Let me give you four examples of verses correctly translating Laolam as to forever and compare them with the Bible that you use the most often. Genesis 6.3 And Yodavave said, My spirit shall not strive with man to forever in his going astray. He is flesh, and his days shall be 120 years. And then in Exodus 3.15 And Elohim said further to Moshe, Thus you are to say to the children of Israel, Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh, Elohim of your fathers, the Elohim of Abraham, the Elohim of Isaac, and the Elohim of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name to forever, and this is my remembrance to all generations. And in Isaiah 34, verses 8 and 10, For it is the day of vengeance of yod heh the year of recompense to the cause of Zion, and its stream shall be turned into tar and its dust into sulfur. And its land shall become a burning tar that is not quenched night or day, its smoke going up to forever. From generation to generation it lies in waste. No one passes through it forever and ever. And then finally in Psalms 119.89, To forever, O Yadavaveh, your word stands firm in the heavens. But there's still more. There's also the phrase Ad Olam that is translated as forever. The odd prefix means unto, until, or as far as. It's from the Shoresh, the Ayin Dalit Hay, that means to advance or to pass on. In Genesis 13, 15, Yedei promised, for all the land which you see, I shall give to you and your seed forever, which should be read, for all the land which you see, I shall give to you and your seed up to or until forever. Other examples, and let's go a few more. Exodus 12, 24, it's in regards to the Passover. And you shall guard this word as a law for you and your sons until forever. And Deuteronomy 12, 28, guard and obey all these words which I command you, that it might be well with you and your children after you as far as forever. When you do what is good and right in the eyes of Yehovah your Elohim. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret matters belong to Yehovah our Elohim, but what is revealed belongs to us and our children until, or as far as, 
forever to do all the words of this Torah. And then in Joshua 4, 7, we read, Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of Yedavaveh. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and all these stones shall be for a remembrance to the children of Israel as far as forever. And pardon me, Jordan there is the Jordan River. Which forever is forever in English translations? And why are the different Hebrew words all translated simply as forever? And what does it mean when something is hidden until forever? Or something is established to forever? Or as far as forever? And is there more than one forever? Now before you begin your study of this interesting word forever, let me assure you of a few things. First, I don't have all the answers. Nor do I believe any one person has them all. It is important that we study and share our studies with each other as we diligently search the scriptures for answers. Everything must be confirmed by two or three witnesses according to Deuteronomy 19.15. The second point I want to make sure we understand is that our father, the Elohim of Abraham, of Yitzchak, excuse me, Isaac and Jacob, is not an Elohim of confusion as Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 14.33. What is written in Scripture is there to teach us about our Father and about His way and should never have been changed. It is our responsibility to seek out the answers, not change the text. Remember, Proverbs 25, 2, it is the esteem of Elohim to hide a matter and the esteem of sovereigns to search out a matter. And finally, in Daniel 12, 9, he told Daniel, Go, Daniel, for the words are hidden and sealed till the end of time. It all boils down to the truth, which Psalms 119.160 states is the sum of Yehovah's word. And that is what sets us free. The truth, Yehovah's word, does not confuse, nor does it lead a person astray. In John 8.32, the Messiah said we would know the truth, and the truth would set us free. Of course, like perfection, if you change the truth, it's no longer the truth. It becomes the opposite of truth which is a lie or an untruth. And who is the author of lies? If you listen to someone teaching a different truth, who are you really listening to? If you're listening to the truth, it comes from our Father, and His Word is not to be changed. If you're listening to something that someone has changed about our Father's Word, you're no longer listening to the truth, but a lie. So let me end this podcast with four more interesting verses. In Exodus 15, 18, Yodhe reigns forever and ever. And in Psalms 119.112, I have inclined my heart to do your laws to forever to the end. And in Psalms 23.6, which is, Psalms 23 is probably one of the first chapters in Psalms we learned as a kid. But the last verse there, there actually states, Only goodness and loving commitment follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of yudhav to the length of days. And the last one is Psalms 133.3. Like the dew of Hermon that comes down on the mountains of Zion, for there yudhav commanded the blessing, Chaim Ad Ha'alom, life forever, life until thee forever. So let me encourage you to invest in a good Hebrew interlinear Bible and the etymological dictionary. 
I have found the Etymological Dictionary of Biblical Hebrew by Matiahu Clark to be an excellent source resource. And don't just read your Bible. Study it. And remember the words of Messiah Yeshua, but the Helper, the set-apart Spirit, whom the Father shall send in my name, he shall teach you all and remind you of all that I said to you. So dive into your studies. Get together with other believers, other like-minded people. Share what you're learning and studying. Let the Holy Spirit teach us and convict us and confirm it by two or three witnesses. And always, if you have questions or comments, feel free to contact me at mravyosef at gmail.com. That's M-R-A-V-Y-O-S-E-F at gmail.com. Have great study times, and shalom, shalom.